Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, this is an episode that I could not wait to record. My guest today is Justin Roth Marsh. Welcome, Justin. Hey, good to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So Justin is the author of a very provocative book called The Machine, A Radical Approach to the Design of the Sales Function, and I can confirm it's radical, and we will talk about that today. He is also the founder of Ballistics, a consulting firm that builds sales environments for mid-sized manufacturing and tech firms. Uh, Listeners will know that I very rarely have authors or consultants on unless their ideas blow my mind, and I need to wrap my head around them. So his ideas blow my mind, and in particular, right now, a lot of the sales world is thinking we may have over-specialized in the division of labor, and Justin's position, if I have it right, is that we have not even begun to scratch the surface on that. Do I have that position right, Justin? Yes. Organizations have two definitions of division of labor, the definition salespeople understand and the one that the rest of the organization understands. And if we're holding sales accountable to the definition that the rest of the organization would use, then we haven't even gotten started. I talk about a principled approach to division of labor to kind of refer to the the approach the rest of the organization would understand. And the reason why I would argue that sales hasn't even got started is that what you have in sales environments is a proliferation of different job descriptions. But what you don't have is any meaningful demarcation lines where responsibilities are concerned. And to argue that you have division of labor in an absence of demarcation lines is just silliness. And the reason I claim you don't have demarcation lines is ultimately in most sales environments, salespeople are responsible for everything. So you have customer service reps, what are they responsible for? Well, performing transactional tasks, of course, unless the tasks are difficult either for technical reasons or because you have an angry client, in which case responsibility automatically leapfrogs back to the salesperson, which of course means there was never a demarcation line there in any meaningful sense. The same thing applies with lead generation. You know, who's responsible for generating leads? Well, marketing, unless it's really hard, in which case it's salespeople. So no demarcation line there either. I think that's fair. I do think salespeople are doing many of these complex tasks you know, just to frame the the obvious here, and I'd love you to challenge maybe each one of the roles and, and redesign them, you know, the traditional now B2B SaaS or tech sales structure is you've got SDRs who are prospecting, AEs who then pick it up from the, you know, the discovery phase and, and move that through to opportunity management. Sales engineer maybe gets involved along the way if it's a complex solution. They hand that off to implementation the customer success managers, CSMs come along for the ride and continue to help with non-commercial success. There's also often support teams who are the reactive side of the non-commercial motion. And then you've got account managers, right? And or renewal specialists who will do the commercial piece post-sale. Let's put an asterisk against three of them because there's three of them that I'm going to have a radically different take on. So the first one would be SDRs. And the second one would be sales engineers. And the third one would be customer success. If we discuss each of those, you'll see where we depart from sort of the orthodoxy. I know from reading the book, and I encourage folks to read the book and and really take your time and think about it, that this is a system, not just in sales. It's a system that actually spans across to other parts of the company as well. Let's start with SDRs. So one of the first things you said was all the, you know, the SDRs should be fired and or have their roles reconfigured. So Tell us more about that. Yeah, realistically reconfigured. So there are two possible scenarios. 
One is where you're selling something that's ridiculously simple to folks who are not discerning purchases. And the other is a scenario where you're selling something that's reasonably complex to discerning purchases. In the first environment, you shouldn't have a sales team at all. No sales team. Just, you know, run ads online, you know, list your products on Etsy or eBay or whatever the appropriate marketplace is, get rid of salespeople and give the margin back to the market in the form of lower prices. And your organization will be certainly better off in that scenario. Now, if you're selling something complex to discerning purchases, the last thing that you want to do is have a 22-year-old nunkampoop have the first conversation with a prospective customer. Because the nature of sales engagement is that in order to get to a second conversation, you have to do a good job of the first conversation. It's not like your success is the sum of the probabilities, your success is a product of the probabilities from one stage to the next. Meaning if you screw up the first conversation, you don't get a second conversation. And of course, the easiest way to ensure that you screw up the first conversation is to, to do two things. Employ a 22-year-old nincompoop to have the first conversation. And the second thing that you can do is to create an artificial distinction in your own head between prospecting and selling because your customer makes no such distinction. So the objection here would be, you know, a B2B enterprise salesperson is a very expensive person. And the reason that you have SDRs, right, is to fill their calendar in a much less expensive way. And secondly, that buyers, for better or worse, have been conditioned that this is kind of how the B2B software world works, at least in the outbound prospecting world. Which is fine if you're only trying to sell to people who are in the process of buying. But what if you're trying to sell to people who are not in the process of buying? And the other thing is, you talked about filling salespeople's calendars. In reality, that doesn't happen. Because salespeople are too busy doing non-sales activities to have anyone fill their calendars. So the argument is that if we want to increase incrementally the number of selling conversations that expensive salespeople have, we can employ SDRs to identify high probability prospects. And it's absolutely true that you can create an efficiency improvement there. And if you're a salesperson, it's understandable that you would be excited about this approach because from your view of the universe, what you're most interested in is your own personal efficiency. But I guarantee whoever you work for, if they have half a brain, is not interested in optimizing for the personal efficiency of salespeople. They're interested in optimizing the process as a whole. So it's a perfect example of what Deming called sub-optimization. You're optimizing a subset of the process at the expense of the process as a whole. So you don't take percentages to the bank, you take dollars to the bank. So what we need to design the sales environment to do is to maximize the efficiency of the sales workflow as a whole. Now, the reality is if you insist that prospective customers talk to SDRs prior to talking to a capable salesperson, it's true that your capable salespeople's conversations will be more effective. But it's also true that a significantly smaller percentage of prospects will end up talking to salespeople. So you need a function that does identify high probability prospects, as you just described. No, you need to take the focus off probability. You don't bank probabilities, you bank dollars. So the problem with sales environments is that salespeople focus on talking to high probability prospects. A good percentage of those high probability prospects should have been routed directly to customer service or to the project teams and bypass salespeople altogether. They don't need to talk to salespeople. They're already in the process of purchasing. You know, there's no requirement to force them to endure a salesperson. What we want salespeople focused on is the folks who are not in the process of purchasing or folks who are in the process of purchasing from your competitors. 
And most salespeople in most environments spend very little time talking to those because they deem them to be not qualified. You need to identify those potential customers who are not in the buying process or in the buying process with your competitors. So someone needs to do that identification. Taking from the book, is that the business development coordinator? Is that the, the... No. To start with, forget chapter one of the book where we talk about pairing salespeople up with business development coordinators. If you're SAP or Oracle selling to enterprise, sure, we might adopt that model. But on a day-to-day basis, we never build that model. Maybe once a year, we might build that model for organizations. So the generation of sales opportunities consists of two critical activities. There's more, but two critical ones. The first is coming up with compelling propositions. And the second is coming up with a list of folks to whom salespeople can present those compelling propositions. So the former is the responsibility of the senior executive team coming up with compelling propositions in our world. And the latter, finding folks to present those compelling propositions to, is the responsibility of a research team. Now, you could say, well, you've just substituted SDR for researcher, and in a sense, we have. But in a very important sense, we haven't, because in our world, researchers would never talk to decision makers. Their job is to hunt down decision makers, but not to talk to them. Got it. Okay, so the, the research team will identify the folks for whom the compelling value proposition or compelling propositions exist, and then the account executive will execute. Yes. Now, the objection from the account exec is, well, this is not a good use of my time, to which I would say, well, hang on, aren't you a salesperson? Because if you actually want to call yourself a salesperson, you have to be prepared to talk to strangers. And if you want to diminish the importance of that activity by calling it cold calling, then have at it. But you better be prepared to uh, experience a dramatic decrease in pay when we take you out of the sales team and add you to the customer service team. Because ultimately, if all you want to do is talk to friendlies, you shouldn't be in sales. Researcher finds the information. AE is prospecting. There is no prospecting. The researcher builds a list of targets. A sales opportunity gets pushed to a salesperson. So they come to work in the morning and they see 10 new opportunities in CRM that were pushed into CRM for them that morning. Each of those opportunities has a proposition associated with it that was designed by the senior executive team to be truly compelling. And a pre-approach email was sent on behalf of the salesperson that morning to those 10 prospects. So those 10 prospects are now expecting or semi-expecting perhaps a call from the salesperson. Assuming they secure that first meeting right now, that meeting in in the, again, B2B tech world especially is usually a discovery meeting. Is that the right first meeting? No, it's not. It's only a discovery meeting if you are selling to people who are in the process of purchasing. If you call it a discovery meeting, then you will drive away folks who are not in the process of purchasing. Now, internally, obviously, there's a requirement to do some discovery. But if you reach out to a total stranger and and attempt to start a conversation with them with discovery, then it's going to be a very short conversation. If I didn't know you from Adam, Jeremy, and you rang me with a compelling proposition, in other words, just a headline, and I said, okay, I'm curious, Jeremy, what have you got? And you said, well, prior to me telling you what I've got, let me ask you some questions. I'd say, well, good try, Jeremy, but piss off. No, I'm not going to tell you what our revenue is or how many staff we have or what enterprise system we're running out back. What you would need to do is to take that headline that got my attention and flesh it out so that I can see that, yes, you have something of substance that I'm genuinely interested in, then, then and only then have you earned the right to ask me some questions. But to characterize that first call as a discovery call is to exhibit a profound luck, lack of understanding of the dynamics of the initial conversation with a genuine prospect. And of course, managers get away with it because their salespeople very rarely have 
conversations with genuine prospects, they spend most of their time talking to folks who are already walking towards the organization with a fistful of dollars. Our approach would be to say, we don't want salespeople talking to those people, send them to customer service. We want salespeople hunting for new accounts. So they come into this conversation, right? They are bringing ideas. They are fleshing out their value proposition. The next traditional step after they've done that is is often a demo that involves a sales engineer. And of the three roles you had asked me to asterisk, that was one of the ones to asterisk. What needs to be redesigned or changed about the role of the sales engineer in today's selling environment? So there are two possible scenarios here as well. One is that you're selling something simple, say if you're a Zapier or SurveyMonkey or something. Maybe you do uh, custom software development, or maybe you're selling an ERP that, that requires a redesign to an organization's business processes in order to really exploit the true value hiding within your piece of software. So it's a very complex conversation. So it's only in the latter case that you need a sales engineer. but If you need a sales engineer, in other words, if what you're selling is truly complex, what you need to recognize is that unless you have a person who is responsible for the technical conversation that starts at detailed requirement discovery and continues all the way through to the end of fulfillment, then you will end up with salespeople embedded in fulfillment. So if you don't want your salespeople to be involved in fulfillment, if you want to insist that salespeople spend 100% of the time having selling conversations, then what you must do is ensure that under no circumstances do your salespeople have technical conversations at all, which means they cannot do detailed requirement discovery all the way through to the point of sale. And then post-sale, they need to be responsible for chaperoning the project through fulfillment because production needs someone who was there from the get-go who they can go to with questions because in a complex environment, there are inevitably ambiguities in the specification. And for exactly the same reason, your customers will insist on talking to someone who was there pre-sale if they have difficult questions because of the inevitable ambiguities in the specification. So the big problem that we find whenever we go into a complex sales environment is a complete absence of what we call the project leadership role, which is really sales engineering done properly. In fact, in most technical organizations, we will reduce the number of salespeople significantly, but increase the number of sales engineers significantly. So we'll say, hey, you don't need seven salespeople. You need two salespeople and nine sales engineers. Because if your salespeople focus exclusively on having commercial conversations, you know, chasing new accounts and new business from existing accounts, And if within those opportunities, they're only having the commercial conversations, not the technical conversations, you will end up discovering that salespeople can sit across a much larger number of opportunities than they do typically. You will probably find that one capable salesperson can keep a couple of project leaders or even three project leaders fully engaged. Once the technical requirements phase, gathering phase begins, and this redesigned sales engineer slash project leader is taking taking the lead. Is the AE still involved? Yeah, so they don't take the lead because this is still a sales environment. Until a contract is signed, we want the salesperson to own the opportunity. As time goes on, they have less and less to say because more and more of the conversation is technical. If you're selling a, you know, maybe a new ERP to a hundred million dollar business, The salesperson will have a lot to say right at the beginning, and they'll have a lot to say right at the very end when you're doing final contract negotiations. 
But in the middle there, most of the conversation is going to be technical people talking to technical people. And we want the salesperson sitting in on those meetings, listening in, you know, making sure that things don't get, get off track. They don't want your engineering team, you know, over-engineering the solution and ending up with something that the, there's no way the salesperson can sell. They need to make sure that the engineering team doesn't misinterpret the commercial requirements of the customer and end up specifying what, what they're used to selling in spite of the fact that it's not really fit for purpose. So the salesperson has a, has a role. But one thing that organizations forget, almost without exception, is the reason for a contract is that there's a certain point in time where you want the commercial conversation to stop. That's why we sign contracts. It's probably the only reason we sign contracts. The reason that both vendors and customers sign contracts is there's a certain point in time beyond which we don't want to be having a commercial conversation anymore. So the purpose of a contract is to codify the commercials so that the conversations from contract signing onward can be technical in nature. And what that means is if you have the division of responsibilities that I'm talking about, there is no involvement whatsoever for the salesperson post-sale. And if, if you discover that there is an involvement for the salesperson post-sale, it's because you've badly engineered your sales environment. So the next piece is the CSM. So today's CSM, right, is, is usually responsible for proactive non-commercial motions, right? So they are ensuring that people are using, they're onboarding, and so on. But I think you have an elevated view of what the CSM role should be. In the sense, I like the idea of a customer success person. The, the job of a customer success person is to take someone who has notionally purchased and get them to the point where they're fully addicted. Because the danger is, particularly with SaaS applications, the application doesn't become sticky until you're using it properly, until it's been properly adopted. And it's not properly adopted at point of sale. The job of customer success is to take somebody who has done a deal commercially but isn't yet addicted. And the key to get them addicted is to get them using all the modules of the ERP. You know, taking the solution that you sold into one department and getting it applied in all departments and monitoring the customer's utilization of the thing to make sure that they are fully addicted. It's absolutely important, but it has nothing to do with sales. It's part of operations. So my view there is that customer success should exist. It should not be part of the sales department. It should be part of operations. If someone is pursuing upgrades, upsells, cross-sells, I would presume that would not be the CSM in that case if they're on the operations side. My view is that sales means the pursuit of, of new business. If a client's bought a SaaS application, let's say I've subscribed to Zapier and I'm on the $149 a month plan. Each month is not a new sale, obviously. My credit card gets debited every month. These are not sales, these are transactions and operations is a responsibility for it. The application should be designed so that I come in at a low or even zero monthly spend. And as I get more and more embedded in the application, it makes sense for me to upgrade. I need more services. I need API integration or something. So it makes sense for me to, to upgrade to the next level and the next level. Salespeople should not be involved in that. That should be the design of the product plus customer success. That should be their responsibility. You need to free your salespeople up from that so that they can focus on winning new accounts or selling materially different things to existing accounts. Salespeople are not responsible for revenue. Operations is responsible for revenue, which means it's the job of operations to keep the customers you've already got and to do such a good job of fulfillment that the share of wallet naturally increases incrementally. We want to unburden salespeople from that. Do you want fries with that? Is not a sales conversation. 
Because if you think that's a sales conversation, congratulations, all, all you're ever gonna sell is French fries. I hope you're happy. Another implication of, of your model, right, is that the new AE role is not on commission. Are the project leaders on commission or commission goes away completely? We get rid of commission altogether. This is a 21st century. To me, the idea of having people on commissions in a complex sales environment is too silly for words. People say to me, oh, well, we're complex. We sell things that are expensive. And I say to them, what you're selling is not complex and what you're selling is not expensive. We work with organizations that sell things that are expensive and complex. I get pissed off with technology people. You have no experience selling things that are complex. And if you go into an environment, you know, heavy in engineering environments, where organizations are doing multi-million dollar deals with teams of engineers on the buy side, working with teams of engineers in the sell side, guess what you don't find? You do not find commissions. The fact that you're selling comp something complex and expensive is not an excuse to pay commissions. It's a reason not to. And you would have to have a profound lack of understanding of how organizations function in a complex environment to believe paying individuals on a piece rate is beneficial in any sense. Well, this was every bit as provocative as I expected it to be. Thank you for humoring me as I played dumb asking these questions, but I think I've got the roles now in my head. You've got the researcher explicitly not talking to customers, but queuing things up on behalf of the AE who does all of the commercial work. The campaign coordinator may also be involved there, and we didn't explore that too deeply, but people can you know, read the book in order to figure that out. And then you've got this transformed sales engineer who's now a project leader doing all the technical gathering, inclusive of proposals, and then a CSM who drives success. So let me just add one thing to the last conversation, because some people might be scratching their heads saying, well, he's talking about piece rate pay as if it's idiotic, but it's not clear why it is. And I just want to explain why. And I think once folks understand this, it becomes obvious. In a complex environment, um, you always need to be on the lookout for sub-optimization. And we touched on sub-optimization before. And that's where you improve the efficiency of a subset of the process. And in a complex environment where you have multiple parties involved in doing something, whether it's sales or fulfillment, or in this case, we're talking about a combination of sales and fulfillment, you don't want piece rate pay at all because piece rate pay is designed to cause suboptimization. You know, why would we pay someone on a piece rate? Well, we pay them on a piece rate because we want them to work as hard as possible. Why do we want them to work as hard as possible? Because we assume that if this particular individual works as hard as possible, they will increase output. So we're assuming that output is a function of that individual's rate of work. That is rarely the case in a complex environment. The reason why the assembly line was revolutionary is not just because it moves work to the workers, but because it forces all of the workers to work at the same rate. And in a complex sales environment, Sales is not an activity performed by a person. Whether you like it or not, sales is an activity performed by a team. So the idea that we're going to single out one or two members of the team and put them in an environment where they are incentivized to maximize their personal efficiency, their personal rates of work, and therefore their personal efficiency is guaranteed to suboptimize the performance of a team. It's clearly a fool's errand in a complex environment. You could try this for yourself. Set yourself up as a consultant and promise improvement in, in the performance of software development environments and go and talk to your clients and suggest to them that you improve the output from their software development teams by putting developers on commission and see how long it takes before they throw you out of their office. Because you know that you'd be thrown out immediately. And the reason you would be thrown out immediately is because the idea is idiotic. And the reason the idea is idiotic is that in this day and age, individuals do not write software. Teams of people write software. 
And because software is such an incredibly complex endeavor, those teams of people need to be very, very carefully coordinated and carefully managed. And the idea that we'd have one or two individuals being paid on a piece rate, you know, paid according to the number of words of software they, they check in each day, it's too stupid for words. We're going to have to stop it there. I will, I will ask the audience to please continue to learn by reading this most provocative and interesting book, The Machine, by Justin Roth Marsh. If people do want to learn more about ballistics or get in touch with you, Justin, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, you could type my name into Google. Uh, I, I have a, a blog called salesprocessengineering.net. Ballistics website is ballistics.com. So they can hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn. Type my name into LinkedIn. You'll find me straight away. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. More than welcome. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 